This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, Philemon M. D'Agostino Foundation, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jenna Flanagan. You probably know Sophia Bush from her starring roles on the iconic TV shows One Tree Hill and Chicago PD. But what you may not know is that Sophia is leading the charge in a new type of business approach called social entrepreneurship. Now, along with her business partner, Nia Batts, Sophia has been working for years to invest in projects that make a positive impact on society and uplift women across the country. From creating a new type of hair salon that caters to both Black and white women, to investing in America's smaller and often forgotten cities, to partnering with the first fully woman-funded, owned, and operated bank in the country, Sophia and Nia are demonstrating how high-profile investors can leverage their fame, business, and experience, and access to capital to help others. And joining me now with more on the impactful work she and her business partner are doing is Sophia Bush. Sophia is an actress, activist, and entrepreneur. Sophia, welcome to Metro Focus. Thank you so much for having me. So first off, let's just start from the top. Social entrepreneurship, um, What that might sound a little like an oxymoron to people, but from your perspective, what is that? I think for far too long, we've had this idea in society that you can either be really successful and be a sort of terrible, selfish person, or you can be dedicated to making the world around you a better place, but you're probably not going to do that well in life. And not only do we know that not to be true, because we have incredible examples of people who have done good and done well, but I think more and more you see people because we're in this information age we understand more about what's going on in the world around us and how interconnected we are than ever people are really waking up to the fact that if our community is healthy we as individuals are healthy and if our community does well and is well funded we as individuals do well and we live better lives and so my business partner who you mentioned nia uh she and i met in our mid-20s we were at a social impact conference, which most people in my day job line of work were not doing 15 years ago. And uh, she cracked a joke about why the girl from TV was there taking notes like a court stenographer. And I said, well, do you want a copy? And we've been best friends ever since. And that sort of community is really where we were socially raised together. We grew up looking around at people changing the world, and we decided we wanted to move the needle in that direction in whatever small way we could. One of the things that I found so impactful about learning about the work that you guys are doing is the focus on women. And so first off, just why is why is it important? Because again, some people might say, well, everybody, um, there's so many people that need access to capital, but why mm -hmm. focus on women entrepreneurs? 
You know, we, we talk a lot about the pay gap, right? That for every dollar men make, women make less. And then within our group, uh, you know, our gendered group is women, there are also disparities. So white women make less than men and black women make less than white women and Latina women make less than everybody. This is a problem that harms our communities. We know that when you invest in women, you invest in families, you invest in education systems and you invest in whole communities. Um, there's no, no, you know, me being shady to men. It's simply to say math, which is not emotional or partial, proves that when you invest in women, they spend their money differently than men do. And so when we think about the truths that we all share, that you and I share as two women, you know, you're in New York and I'm out here in LA, but there are things we have in common. What I think becomes really powerful is to then understand what happens again in our sort of disparate groups. So when Nia and I became friends, we were really offended that as a white woman and a black woman who both worked in media, we couldn't get our hair done anywhere together. And what we started to look at was the fact that industry, in the same way that there are these gaps for women in finance, there are gaps for women in industry, which mean gaps for women in services, which mean we don't get to be together. Where, where do you spend time really opening up about your life and who you are like you do in a hair salon? And if you and I, for example, never get to sit in a hair salon together, do I learn your stories? Do you learn mine? Do we figure out how to go and change the world together? So what started for us as this desire to change hair and the way that we could all be socially integrated in impactful ways led us again to small business, small business financing, lending. And as we've looked at the ways that women are held out of this world of access to capital. Again, you find the disparity for us as a gender group, and then you find the disparities all the way down racial lines. And to us, that's simply unacceptable. And by the way, women are the number one creators of small business in today's economy, and that group happens to be led by Black women. So if women are only accessing a small percent of capital, and women of color access a fraction of that capital, we're actually holding our entire society back. The more businesses we have, the more money people are making, the more everyone is flourishing, the larger our whole economy grows. So they, you know, they say that cliches are cliches because they're true, but it really is true that a rising tide lifts all ships. And we're very into figuring out how to push that water. Well, speaking of ways to push that water, because you being in LA and me being in New York, it's also interesting that you've taken a uh, specific interest in smaller cities and smaller locations that get overlooked, you know, and fly over areas. Why is that important? You know, there's this idea of underrepresented founders, and that might be founders of color, queer founders, founders that are women, and it's also underrepresented geographies. You hear so much about, you know, business and investment and venture capital happening in, you know, Silicon Valley and then moving to Austin and then all the tech people move to, you know, move to Miami. These are big, big places, but there is incredible innovation happening around the country. And for Nia, who grew up in Detroit, again, who's my best friend. So Detroit's my home away from home. I always joke that <laughs> Nia's dad and mom are my bonus parents and vice versa, you know, for her with mine. I've spent so much time in Michigan and I, I love Detroit. I love the renaissance of a great American city. And I think it's incredibly important to make sure that native Detroiters have seats at the table for the way that their city is reinvested in. That's why she and I wanted to go and open our salon in Detroit. And just like 
you know, my falling in love with Oklahoma because that's where my husband grew up and us doing a lot of work in Tulsa since 2020 and choosing to have our wedding there, the folks we've met who are rebuilding Black Wall Street and creating Black Tech Street and who are innovating in this incredible community that is so vibrant and that is really pursuing a brighter future in the wake of tragedy while holding on to history, those are the sorts of places that inspire us most. As you speak about all of this, I also kind of wonder because finances is usually like, you know, that's a area that men are very known for being strong in and vibrant and um, leaders and et cetera. And money is something that a lot of women specifically are taught to engage in, understand, or to thrive in. So just your take on um, creating a space where women, uh, hopefully without shame, can learn some of the things that perhaps they might not have been encouraged to learn about mm -hmm. finances and capital. Yeah, well, that idea that finance is a man's game, I know people will, there will be some people who roll their eyes at this. There will be some people who get it, but that is a vestige of the patriarchy. You know, my grandmother couldn't have a credit card or sign a lease on an apartment without a husband as her co-signer, as the person giving her permission to have her own financial account. Well, it, it's not that women are not good at finance or math. I think back to the, you know, classic photo of the data scientist standing next to all the books of code that helped us go to space. You know, a young lady with long hair and big glasses, you know, she did that way back then. And we are incredibly capable in all of these arenas, but we've historically been held out of them because within those arenas is where power is held. And power in this country has historically been held by men and largely by older white men. And so I think it's incredibly important for us to understand as women that if we take control of finances, if we learn how to be, you know, our own versions of little financial financial ninjas in our lives, we are growing our own power. And it's something that inspires Nia and I. It's a reason that we chose to take uh, our roles on as strategic advisors to the First Women's Bank. Crazy that the First Women's Bank with a lending focus on women was only opened in America in 2021. But I'm so inspired that it was the brainchild of the women who ran the Small Business Association under President Obama. They said, we're working on supporting small business owners all across America. And at the literal level of the presidential administration, we're seeing a gap for women. We have to fix this. And so they've made that their mission and their work. And now we get to be a part of it. And it's also pretty cool to get to hang out with Billie Jean King because she's a literal legend. Um, she's an advisor as well. And you look at these worlds of sports and finance that women are really staking their claim in and making their mark in. And you see, you know, the women's basketball finals getting higher ratings than anything else in college sports this year. And you see women outperforming, you know, women who run financial management firms outperforming men. And so it's important for us to be in these spaces. It's important for us to understand that financial freedom is societal freedom. And we want to figure out how to speed up that freedom for as many people as possible with, you know, tools and opportunities for access that didn't exist until very recently. For uh, women, at least young women, perhaps, or any woman really in the tri-state area who would be watching this interview and interested in what it is that you're doing, if you had a piece of advice um, or a place to start, you have that idea, but you're really not sure what that first step is, um, what advice would you give? 
I would say certainly look for the places where you can be mentored. And that means, you know, find out what sort of grants are available in your state and in your city for small business owners with ideas. So many of the the grants that you can apply for will help applicants go through programs to strengthen their business plans. I would also say, please visit us online. Look up the First Women's Bank. Uh, You know, come and say a digital hello. Make sure you're following us on social media. We are building out curriculum and all sorts of free tools to offer women wonderful help with financial work and also financial education at no no charge. So uh, those are some of the resources I really believe in. I also love, there are phenomenal, phenomenal women who come from the investment world, giving great advice on Instagram. I follow a bunch of them. So, you know, feel free to, you know, see who I'm sharing if you'd like. And I would just say, remember that it's something anybody can learn and it's something everyone deserves to learn. And it's a, it's a really wonderful place to start to stake your claim, you know, in, in the world around us. For the first time ever, a group of everyday civilians will be going to space to orbit the moon. The SpaceX expedition known as Dear Moon is being paid for by Japanese billionaire entrepreneur Yusaku Mezawa, who has selected eight daring individuals to join him in this intrepid flight free of charge. Over one million people applied for the six-day journey, all of them artists without any prior experience in outer space. And the eight lucky winners were those who Mezawa believed would be most likely to push the boundaries of their respective fields and help society in some unique way as a result of participating in this unique mission. Among the eight artists chosen for the journey is Brendan Hall. Brendan, who was born in Connecticut and is now based here in New York City, is a documentary filmmaker, and he joins us now. Brendan, welcome. Good to be here. Brendan, I don't know if I envy you or if I'm so glad I'm not you, but in any event, uh, the audience will decide. So let me start with this, Brendan. Could you elaborate on what this project is all about. I mean, could you tell us how it came to be and uh, and a little more about what its mission is? Absolutely. I mean, it comes from Yusaku Maizawa and his vision for this. You know, I think that he, I can't speak for him, but he, based on what he's done in his life, wants to kind of push the boundaries of culture, the boundaries of art, his own personal comfort zones. I mean, he's also been to the International Space Station at this point as a private space tourist. And so I think that he just had a vision that we haven't yet seen artists and creatives go up into outer space. You know, some of his kind of original uh, language behind this was, was what if Beethoven or what if Mozart had gone up and done something like this? What kind of work would they have created? And uh, I, I don't think I'm Mozart, but I think that this uh, opportunity for artists to have this new perspective and for all of us to kind of bring our own walks of life to this is really unique. And so it is the the first civilian mission to deep space. We are going around the moon and kind of the mission is to create work in our respective fields from music to photography to film that kind of bring this experience back to people uh, and hopefully impact our planet in a positive way. So, Brendan, uh, take take us back to the beginning of all this for you. How did first of all, how did you find out about this project, and and why did you want to go? Were you one of those kids who always wanted to be an astronaut and go to outer space? 
Yeah. So I, what kind of shocks me is I, I wasn't, I always loved the night sky and personally as a filmmaker, as a photographer, being under the stars and filming time lapses and seeing the Milky Way were some of the most profound experiences in my lifetime. So in terms of, do I love the night sky? Am I just filled with wonder from this? Absolutely. And I never dreamed of uh, going to space just because I didn't think it was ever a real possibility for me. And the way I found this opportunity is I was just online one day and I saw it in an article. Uh, it's, it sounds crazy, but I barely remember actually stumbling upon it. Um, and I just applied on a whim thinking, you know, I don't know what this is. I don't know if this is real, like what, what could possibly happen. But, but kind of in my life in general, I try to take the philosophy of always go for the better story and always just try to push my comfort zone. And so I applied on a whim. And um, I said I could have gotten a coffee or done anything different that day, and I might never have seen this. And to think of where it's already led now is, yeah, it kind of gives me shivers just thinking about it. So Yeah, that's amazing. So how did you become one of the chosen ones? Why do you think <laughs> you were picked among the over a million applicants? It's a great question. And people have asked me, they say, why, why you? Not to offend you, but why you? And I'm like, yeah. it doesn't offend me at all. That's the fairest question you could ask because it's such an important opportunity. And, you know, I think part of it is the work I create. I'm a director, cinematographer, and editor of documentary films. I make films in nature and specifically about the human connection to nature. I really think we learn a lot about places and really feel them through somebody experiencing them. And so that was kind of the spirit I wanted to bring to the mission is I, I film night skies, I film national parks in the United States, and I've been all around the world in, in some really remote kind of expeditions as well. And I just wanted to bring that human story to this. We've seen imagery of the moon and we've seen imagery of the earth and this amazing legacy of astronauts going up there. But this uh, new group of civilians experiencing this and the, the transformation we have before and after, I think it's just going to be a really powerful story and moment. And so um, I think part of it was my work and part of it was that idea of I said, whether it's me or someone else, this is a human story. And I really hope we can capture it like that. So it's part of your mission to document uh, the journey and, and the before and the after of it as well. Exactly. So we're still developing kind of what product that looks like, but that's my goal is to give an inside perspective for people and bring them along for the ride and see the ways that this changes all of us before, during and after. So tell us about uh, the other uh, seven participating, uh, the seven other uh, artists chosen uh, for this trip. Um, what is their art and where do they hail from? Yeah, so they hail from all corners of the world. I mean, representation from Japan, India, uh, the Czech Republic and Nigeria. You have everyone from Rhiannon Adam. She's a London-based photographer that does a lot of kind of humanistic photography. Another photographer, Kareem Ilya, um, as well as a, a choreographer and multidisciplinary artist named Yemi A.D., all the way up to uh, American DJ Steve Aoki. And so uh, together, it's really interesting because we come from all over the world, all different age ranges. Um, I think the youngest is Dev, and then the older uh, candidates as well, I think are closer to their 40s or 50s. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm really excited to see the way that everyone brings their perspectives uh, to the mission. Have you had an opportunity to get together in person already or, or not yet? 
I've met most of the other crew members. Yeah, both during the selection process, we've already had some experiences together. And I think this next phase is about all of us uh, going to different events and eventually training, which there's no timeline for. But it's going to be so interesting having us all in the same place uh, going through this journey together. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about the training in a second. But <laughs> but first of all, you know, as we've been saying, you're all civilians. In fact, uh, the press releases uh, refers to you guys as uh, as the uh, the all civilian crew. Uh, <laughs> so that being said, who's flying the ship? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that's a great question, too. So I don't think we have uh, exact information on that just yet, because Starship is, is still in the process of being developed by SpaceX. But what I can say is that I fully trust in SpaceX's process. Uh, in a lot of ways, Starship's going to be an autonomous ship and uh, controlled in so many ways from the ground here. And so, yeah, I just have my full trust in that process, okay. and I'll look forward to updating you down the line. So there will be a, a flying, uh, it'd be a navigator and, uh, and a pilot and all that. We, we shouldn't worry about that. You guys are going to be given the, you know, the responsibility of flying back and you know there and back i'm glad yeah yeah what i what i can tell you is is we're not chosen because of our aviation skills <laughs> and we, we leave a lot of that in the hands of, of spacex yeah. which yeah. i couldn't imagine a more you know trustworthy uh organization to work with uh, by the way have you had a chance to visit the spacecraft yet have you been able to see how comfy the accommodations will be or how uncomfy for for it's pretty large group well, they're still developing it, so so not yet. But what's really amazing is it's going to be it's the largest rocket in history, and they're about to do their first orbital test flight. So SpaceX is it's called Starship, and Starship is being developed uh, also to work with NASA's Artemis programs, and so it will also be the spacecraft that does NASA's next moon landing, and so it's a really exciting part of this new kind of space legacy. And they're going to do an orbital flight at SpaceX. So they're waiting till they they launch Starship without a crew, orbit it around the Earth, and then land. And then uh, once that goes through successfully, uh, that's going to be a huge step towards the rest of all of this. So we're, we're just really excited. Yeah. Now, now, Brendan, I know that William Shatner went to space with Jeff Bezos. Um, but compared to the mission that you will be undertaking, that was like a little walk around the around the block. Um, so, so <laughs> you know, so I'm sorry to bring this up, but I have to say it's the first thing that I thought of, which right. is you know the Challenger uh, space shuttle tragedy. I mean, I actually yeah. saw it live on TV when it happened, mm. you know, and I thought about that, and I thought about uh, Christy McAuliffe, I believe, the civilian of the crew. I think our viewers know mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. The whole thing, sad thing. Did you think about that? Are you afraid? Are, is your family afraid for you? Yeah, I mean, my so I took this decision very seriously, and especially during the training and the months leading up to it, uh, not the training, but the uh, selection process. You know, I had to really think deeply about this and past the excitement, past the opportunity it bring. And I actually remember being at Cape Canaveral, the space center there, just touring. Just, just walking around and getting all the information I can from the museums. And I walked through the hall of the, the Challenger explosion of the um, different uh, kind of mementos and memorabilia, pieces of clothing, things that meant a lot to, to the folks involved in that. And um, I, I felt that that's, 
that's heavy. And I think that that legacy has been so important. Um, and they gave so much for us to help tell these stories because we all believed in this this greater thing of spaceflight. And I really believe in that too. And it wasn't an easy decision to make, but I made it with my family. I made it with my partner, um, Gabby. And it was a lot of deep thinking and existential thinking. But what I can say is that it feels like the most meaningful thing I could do with my life. And, and I really hope to take all that energy of fear and nervousness and put it both into the trust of SpaceX and just the hard work to create the best project I can and, and tell the best story. So uh, yeah, there's fear and there's nerves, but you know, at this point uh, I've taken the leap and signed on and, and we're going to do this. It's going to be a safe and amazing journey. So I'm excited. So, you, know, you know, that's the concern that, uh, that is of course uh, inevitable that will come up, you know, the, uh, that something can go wrong. But as we've been saying, it's such an exciting trip with so many possibilities. What's the most exciting aspect of this trip for you? The one thing. Hmm. I, you know, <clears throat> I think it's just seeing our reactions um, once we're up there, because that's the that's the part that's the most unknown. You know, there's so much that we can't predict. There's so much we're going to go through personally. And a lot of the most fulfilling moments of this so far are moments I could have never expected. Yeah. But I think that that as a filmmaker, what I really love is projects where I'm chasing some idea or some moment. And I don't know exactly how it's going to unfold, but I just know something's going to happen where we just see uh, someone get so impacted by an experience. And so I just look forward to that part of the trip that we can't predict how we're going to feel or predict yeah. when it really all hits us. Um, yeah, and so it's it's not always easy living in those unknowns, but I just kind of have the faith it's going to be a powerful experience. Well, Brendan, we're going to have to end it there. Um, uh, good luck to you. Congratulations. Uh, I hope to talk to you when you get back, and it's going to be sometime this year. So listen, so uh, thanks for joining us today. It's, it was a real pleasure talking to you. My pleasure, too. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to MetroFocus. You can take our award-winning program with you wherever you go with MetroFocus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play MetroFocus, the podcast. Also available at MetroFocus.org, WLIW.org slash radio, and on the NPR One app.